0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A Media.com. Hey, y'all, welcome back. Another episode of Conversations with me and Z, and we got Caitlin, and I think Jante is there as well. So Z, today we are talking about staying at home, and the idea is, why do we need to go out and just go through a checklist? I feel like people live life as a checklist, and it's not about what we're doing right now, it's about what is the next thing that I want to do? What's the next dinner that I'm going to? What's the next fancy restaurant that I'm hitting up? When is my next Disney World trip, my next cruise? when is my next five-star vacation? And the problem with this is that we're never settled. So we're never in this proverbial home. And you can think of home either as a real home, a physical sanctuary, where you go back, you just relax, you recharge. I think about coming back home, we've got a very nice setup. I see my kids, it always brings a certain lightness, a levity to me, I'm totally relaxed. Even if crazy things are going on, even if they're screaming, they're out of their minds, There's something about that interaction that I find very restorative. It calms my mind, it makes me feel at peace, it makes me feel whole. In fact, I spent some time on my own this weekend and when I spend too much time on my own, away from my family, I go crazy. Uh, I just got too many weird thoughts going through my head. As soon as they come through the door, it's like, all right, cool, we're back. This is our unit, we're together, life is good. I don't know what's coming in the future, but right now this is great there's nothing more that i want so part of it is the intimacy of being at home and being with people that you love part of it is it's a familiar environment you've got a certain set of routines and i think with that familiarity it comes comes peace there's there aren't surprises there aren't things that we have to deal with out of the blue there aren't a thousand faces we're looking at when we're on the street which requires a lot of mental processing just to know who's a threat and who's not a threat. Uh, There aren't sounds that we're being assaulted with. There aren't people with automatic weapons who are trying to shoot at us if we're hanging out at a parade or a concert. So there's a certain peace of mind that, that comes from being in this familiar environment. We can cultivate it the way that we want, get the right feng shui. And this to me is important because when I think about my life The times that I feel the best are the times when I feel calm. I mean, of course, there are things that you wanna do. There's this project that we're working on, the spoken word. Uh, There's our wellness project, Dharma Media. Uh, There are duties that we have to discharge. We have to raise children. We have to get all that stuff done. But there's something very foundational about just coming home and allowing that energy to dissipate, allowing the mind to clear and spending time with the people that you care about, spending time just being alive, just living. And as we've talked about before, Z. Nothing fancy. You know, maybe from the outside it looks boring as hell for people who are out doing cocaine and bungee jumping. Uh, But it's very soothing. And maybe more importantly, it's sustainable. It's something that we can do day in and day out. I'm not saying there's no place for craziness. Sometimes you want to let loose. You want to do things that are a little bit wild. But you need that foundation. Those wild things, in my view at least, can be around the edges. But the primary point of life is to cultivate that safe, stable, nurturing environment where you are with people that you love, where your mind is clear, and you can just enjoy the experience of existing. So at least that's how I think about it. And we'll get into this in a minute, but this came up because I was having a conversation yesterday with my wife and we were talking about vacation. And at times it's interesting because with her There's a part of her which really buys into what I've just been describing. She's very focused on family, loves her children tremendously, loves just hanging out. It talks about how some of her favorite times are just hanging out in the room together, watching TV together, just being in each other's presence. But there's also another part of her which has a thousand things that she wants to do. So it's different restaurants to go to. It's different things to buy. It's different vacations to take. And these are things that we're not talking about a month from now or two months from now. We're talking about discussing vacations that might happen in 2025 or 2026. And it's almost like it's weird to me, Z, because instead of being present and experiencing whatever is happening now, it's this constant cinema going on in the mind. It's this dream existence. As you mentioned earlier, we were talking offline and you were saying, What is the point of planning something three years from now? Who the hell knows what's going to happen then? There's no value in sorting out logistics for something three years uh, from today. But I think the value is that it gets people in this dream state, it gets them something to look forward to, to get excited about, Uh, it keeps the mind churning. Maybe it's got some, some effect. I don't know what the hormones are that are involved, uh, whether it's uh, the cortisol or, or, or something else, but it's kind of like a drug. Like, let me keep this fantasy going, this dream going. And nothing, again, inherently wrong with dreams, but dreams ultimately have to tie to action in the present. So in my view, you got a dream, you got something you want to achieve. It's like, okay, what steps do I need to take to get there? And that impacts what I do right now. But if we're always living in this dream world, then we're never really living because we're never here today. We're never seeing what's happening. We're never present when we are with the people that we care about. And we've never got that sense of peace. And that is something that I feel is missing in the way that a lot of us live. We don't have that sense of just being able to settle down, having a calm, nurturing environment, and having that sense of peace. And as we were talking before, Z we summed that up and said all of those things, uh, the peace of mind, the intimacy, the sense of love, the sense of stability, those are what constitute a home. And for some people, it could be their actual home. For others, you talked about Gil Scott Heron, and he wrote a piece called Home is Where the Hatred Is. So he had to get out of his home. It was a toxic environment, but he might be able to create some other environment or some metaphorical home that provides those same conditions. So let's kick off on this note. Talk to us a little bit about this concept of a home. How do you think about it? What are the elements we should be thinking about? And maybe also what is the importance of having that sanctuary that we can come back to? Ben, the word
1: sanctuary, the the dwelling place of sanity, of stillness. Just that word sanctuary is so beautiful. And when I think about one finding their sanctuary, That is your personal ashram, your personal temple. And it doesn't have to be a physical place. The physical place is a symbol of your state of mind. So people live in different houses, but they are not homes. See, a house is not a home when there's nothing there or no one there that greets you, that loves you. If you live alone and you live in a home or house, there's a big difference. If you go there and you feel cold, despair, quiet, sadness, that's a house, it is not the sanctuary of the heart. But if you go there and you feel relieved, you feel that that is your hermitage, your respite from the chaos of the world, and you go, wow, I'm glad to be home, that's your home. But it starts first in your own mind, knowing what that is. I grew up in a tumultuous time, as I've shared, and I didn't always feel at home. We moved a lot, we moved around a lot. I had a few things that were my sense of self were possessions, whatever they were, and we would move around, and then we finally would be somewhere. My mom was oftentimes gone and on on her different uh, political and business trips and things like that, and uh, sometimes the relatives would be there here and there. But I never felt at home except at my grandmother's house. And when I went to my grandmother's house, there were the, all the senses were subdued. They were in harmony. The level, the volume level in the house, the nurturing of her cooking, the query in her voice and my grandmother's voice about, my day, their day, and I would always sleep better there. I would be unguarded. It was like, wow, I'm at home. And so it wasn't the place. And then when they would say, well, it's time to go home to your mom or go home to your parents, I always dreaded that because I didn't feel that in my heart. So again, us being clear that the difference between the place you live and home is simple. Home is where the heart finds a sanctuary. A house is where the body is protected from the elements. It's very different. But for those of us who are learning this, we can look at different pictures in our mind and ideas of what's at home. I know that sometimes people go home and they're constantly looking for some place to go, some escape, some type of um, uh, fast-paced Guided vacation to get away from home. I'm not sure what they get out of it, but a lot of people do it. They get on cruises, they get on guided tours of all kinds. They have their camera in one hand, their bag in the other, and they're snapping photos and running back and sampling the foods at the buffet, not really understanding anything about the people around the culture. And then they get home and they drop their bags off. Their bags are still packed. It's kind of a way station where they're just these lost. Souls basically um, looking for what they can't even imagine or conceptualize, which is a sanctuary of the heart. When we get to the point where we understand what that sanctuary is and we pursue that, we find that enlightenment, development of the self is readily available. Um, When we have issues with people that are always planning an escape, that is anxiety. And if we buy into it, it makes the anxiety greater and stronger. Remember folks that anxiety is over mindful of the past and dreading the future. So you're constantly wanting to plan things that you're, you want to know the future. I want to know the future. So I'm going to book this room for 2030 and we're going to do this in 2030 because I want to believe that I have some sway or control over time, the universe, and the whims of fate. You see? So anxiety is putting a toxic stew into your mind, screwing up your brain chemistry. What we strive to do in higher levels of high vibrational practices is to be present. As the Sikhs say, to be in Hakam, to be here right now, not somewhere else. And then right now, right here, right in front of us, we can do things to make it right. It's like when we v- did the visit this weekend to John Tay's aunt and this sanctuary, this paradise, right there. I didn't want to be anywhere else. She was preparing fresh juices. There was beautiful fragrances in the house, the mellow music, the children playing. It was, it, it, it was, it was heaven on earth. I didn't have to go to sandals on the beach or to Bali, all that. I've been to all those places and I've enjoyed places, not for the reason that a lot of people think, because I've always traveled working. I've never traveled as a tourist per se. I've always traveled with the desire to learn, grow, or to offer service. And it's just my way of traveling. And that's why I, what I call getting away, because I've always been seeking that place in my heart and my soul. But those of you who want to just travel and and go to, let's say you want to go to Yosemite and molest and harass buffalo, take pictures of you getting pierced by buffalo or moose, uh, drop kicked by some um, thousand pound animal. You see this all the time. I look at these people lining up to get assaulted by bears, moose, and buffalo because they're harassing these people in their natural environment. And I always wonder what's going on at home. What's going on in your home life? that you would rather be attacked by a buffalo than be at home. And these are the very people that maybe we will never reach them, but I want for those of us who are opting out and think about it, I want you guys to take a deep breath, visualize those people and then purge that out of your mind. Just vomit it out of your mind. Poop it out of your mind. Get it out of your mind. And then say, well, I'm glad I'm not that way. And then think about the things in your house, your own, your own spiritual feng shui that you could do that makes you feel at home wherever you're at, especially in your common domicile, your common home that you live that shelters you from the environment. And we don't all have homes like that. They can be elusive for people who are very aware. If you close your eyes and you think about home, Let's say it's you, Vin, and you have these three really happy, beautiful kids, beautiful daughters. You have the person that you love that you decide to spend your life with, and a byproduct of that loving relationship with these three beautiful girls, you've uh, you're of means, and you have a, a nice cubicle condo in New York, in one of the most toxic, polluted evil cities in the world. But when you go into those doors and you lock the world out and you go to your fortress of solitude and those girls are happy to see their dad and your wife is happy to see you and can't wait to put the kids to sleep just to say, I'm glad we're together. And I know that the world out there is rough and it's it's not a nice world, but here everything is okay. Home is where the love is. Home is not where the hatred is. Home is not where the tension is. Home is not where the stress is. Home is where love, our love, dwells and flourishes. Then, even though we're in New York and I have to fight rabid rats and crazed Nazis and uh, unhoused psychopaths, I beat all that to get to you. And I'm here. And let's have a moan of gratitude, have a good meal together, smile share our experiences and cuddle up so I can be ready to do this all over again for my wife and kids and her for me and them. That's home. But when you find yourself figuring out, taking that for granted, that's when the idea slips in your mind that there's going to be a better place than that. We can go. we can spend resources, help destroy the planet um, by having all this unnecessary movement Um, we can promote anxiety, we can promote anger, rage, fear, we can elevate our blood pressure simply because we cannot find peace at home. For those of you who are coupled up or in different relationships, when people go other places to look for happiness or tranquility, then the house is no longer home. It's a building. Yet it doesn't take much to find that, that right blend where our home is really nice. Some people have decided because their home in their heart is so sacred, so so clear, so well-established that they didn't find other homes. They, they're moving to rural areas. They're moving to the country. I uh, know one of our uh, clients who passed away, Malcolm. His mother, once upon his death, her only child's death, she decided to move back to the rural Pennsylvania. She told me she lives in a cabin or house in Pennsylvania, right across from where she grew up as a child, with open fields and fresh air, and that's where she's going to spend the rest of her years with the tears and, and joys and memories of her son. I thought that was just beautiful. She said, I don't want to be here anymore. I've never felt at home in LA because I only came here because of my son. And now that my son is dead, I have no value for this home and this house in LA, the noise, the chaos, the treatment of others, the congestion, the population density, the ripping and running of LA. So she went to a place that she found peace, tranquility. She said, I'm going back home and I'm going back home alone and at home, I can be alone. Isn't that
0: beautiful? Yeah, what you're describing, Z, I think requires a lot of self-awareness and maybe some introspection. Maybe it's some age as well that she's at a point in her life where she knows what's important and what's not important, what brings value, what brings clarity, and what is just a distraction. So I do think that's beautiful. I also feel like it's rare. I haven't seen too many people with that attitude. I shouldn't say I haven't seen any. There's certainly some. But to me, it feels like Maybe it's just a cultural phenomenon that we we consider life running from one activity to the next, to the next, to the next. And again, I'm not anti-activities. I mean, physically, I, I work out a lot. There are a lot of things that I do. I'm out doing open mics. I'm working on music. But it's all part of a routine, and that routine is centered partially around a physical place, partially around a set of conditions. And being in that flow, one, reduces the amount of energy that I need to expend to do what I need to do because I'm not constantly uprooting and going somewhere else. Every time you do that, it takes planning, it takes logistics, it takes time, it takes financial resources. So I can just be more efficient because I'm not in that state of frenzy. My mind tends to be cleared, not always, but if I'm immersed in the routines, if I got my family around me, my friends around me, I tend to be more clear. I tend to be a lot more content. But uh, for whatever reason, Z, it feels like we've gotten to a place where that's an uncommon approach to life. In fact, not only is that uncommon, but people seek the opposite. I remember this person that I worked for. Uh, this was my first job coming. No, sorry, it, was, it wasn't it was my first job, but it was my first job in finance. And I worked for someone And that person just loved being there all night. And it was such a horrible person to work for. I actually liked this dude personally, so we got along. But as a boss, he was terrible because he never wanted to go home. So he would rather just hang out all night, make meaningless changes to presentations. He would get excited when it was 7 o'clock and it was time to order dinner for the team because it would be more of a chance to hang out at work. He didn't want to be around his wife. And the rest of us were like, dude, we just want to get the fuck out of here. We have other things to do. We have other places to be. We don't want to be here. But that, to me, is an example of someone who didn't have a home, who was looking for something different, looked for that through work. I gave the example of my wife, who, again, at times I think is very home-centered, but at times is very much focused on what's the next exciting thing, what's the next shiny new toy, none of which I believe actually serves her. I mean, of course, it provides some temporary hit. Some excitement, but there's a big cost to that. And the cost is peace of mind, and the cost is also presence. So just being able to live. I don't know how else to put it, but it's kind of like we've taken life, we've taken existence, and instead of just existing, we've crammed all of these places and schedules and calendars together. And that's something that we aspire to do, but in the process, we've forgotten how to live. I don't know if this makes sense. I'm just going to read a quote, Z, that I pulled up, and then I'll get your reactions on this. So there's a quote by Henry David Thoreau, and I was thinking about this as we were talking. He talks about going to the woods. So he says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life, living is so dear, nor did I wish to practice resignation, unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to live so sturdily and spartan-like as to put to rout all that was not life, to cut a broad swath and shave close, to drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms. So he sees life almost as a low state of entropy. Like, let's take everything that's Uh, that's superfluous, cut out everything possible that we can and just be and just exist. And and I don't know what experiences he had being off by himself, but there's something about that that feels very appealing. Like just sink into life, just immerse yourself in being, in existing, because we don't have time. Uh, We're going to get to the end and we don't know when that end is coming and we'll be there. And we'll never have had the experience of actually living because we'll have spent all of our time doing all of these other things to hide from living. I don't know why we do it. Are we afraid to live? Have we somehow come to believe that life by itself is is not enough and we need something more? And then that becomes odd because we have that belief, even though we've never really experienced life. We can't experience life because we're too busy hiding from it, running away from it, searching for something else, yet we've decided to dismiss it. We've decided to dismiss the home and say, you know what? I don't like this home. It's not a good home. Even though we've never opened the door. You know what I'm saying, Z, We've never even opened the door and stepped inside, but somehow we've decided that it's not good enough. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, again, Vin, I believe that one of our biggest challenges is simple enlightenment. To be on a path of enlightenment, to strive in this lifetime to be self realized. And in the path, on that path, when you understand that this life is a gift and a blessing, and to show gratitude in in, in all the ways you show gratitude is actually a ritual of enlightenment. Like I talked about the young lady striving for nirvana. There is no place, like they said in the Wizard of Oz, there is no place like home. And home isn't that material place. It's what goes on inside of there. As they say in Taoism or in Zen studies that a carpenter builds a shell, an open space with a roof and walls. So that you can fill it with love. So you can fill it with love. The house is an empty vessel until you fill it with love. Well, how do you fill it with love? You can never understand the the, the preciousness of this moment unless you have gratitude for the people that make you who you are. This endless rushing around looking for adventure, it's just like the Wizard of Oz. That was the metaphor for the Wizard of Oz. She wants to go to all these places, uh, flying monkeys, witches, various types of robots, talking mutated animals, this kind of thing, zombies. All Somewhere over the rainbow. Somewhere else other than right where you were at. And when she got there, she ran into all sorts of uh, horrible people, a few cool people that were dysfunctional. And eventually she just said, I I just need to get home. Like the man said, it's right here under your feet. You didn't have to do all this. You have to risk your life. So a lot of people are very unhappy. You walk in the door and, does, do people greet you? I've known situations where you walk in, there's dead silence. There's a grunt, a glare. The tension rises. The stomach gurgles. Oh, shit. It's like you had to, like you're a convict that has to go to jail during the day. I remember I had a cousin that got in legal issues and he was such a good guy. The judge and the jailer said, this guy is too good to be in jail. What he did was such an anomaly. So every day after work and he finished his chores, we could go home and after he finished dinner, he had to go report to jail at eight at night and he could leave at six in the morning. So he had to go to jail every night for 10 hours. It was the weirdest thing, the weirdest thing. So our home could be a jail well, here's where all my stuff is. My clothes are here. This is kind of like my base camp, like we had in the military. Here's We had a thing in the military called a rally point. If all hell broke loose and everybody got separated, there would be a particular place we would all go to, to recoup and assess our losses and, and, and redeploy ourselves. So if your home is a rally point, that that's pretty sad. And hopefully there's a way that you could remedy that. When I think about people who, can't imagine, as, as Caitlin called it, a staycation. Just staying home, waking up late, doing what you want to do, no real plan. And you're, you're, that's better than being in, 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 in the Jamaica Bay, though those places are beautiful. Now I've been everywhere and I've enjoyed places. There are places I've gone through and I wanted to stay there forever because the environment was so beautiful. And then a lot of the times the reason I didn't stay because it wasn't home, the elements of being at home weren't there. I remember years ago traveling on a regular basis to Asia and sometimes when, when I couldn't take my eldest son when he was a little guy, that would be the only thing I'd miss. I wish he was here with me. I'm having a wonderful time, but I, 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 I'm a father and for me to feel at home, I, I want to be near my children, right? I want to be just around them, harassing them, them harassing me, whatever dysfunctional things we do as parents. But that gave me a sense of home. I know what it's like not to have a home. As a young child, uh, my mother uh, was very busy with the things she does, and and oftentimes at home she would vent her stress and her um, unhappiness. So home was often felt very unhappy. It wasn't the place I went for love and comfort. As I said earlier, I did that at my grandmother's house. So I know what home is and it, where it dwells is in the heart. And then we build our homes, our, 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 we build the vessel around that thing. So I would challenge anybody, just well, I just want to go here, go there. And a lot of these people, don't, places don't want you there other than for the tourist dollar, right? And because you're, that's their home and you're a stranger. Now, once you get to know people in these places, everything changes. People tell you when you travel, get to know the local people.
0: Uh, I believe in starting in 2023, Venice, Italy has said that they will be charging people to come in, who just, tourists who just come in for the day. They're going to charge like five euros, something small, but still enough because they say that the wear and tear from all the tourists affects their structures. Oh yeah. And that and but they're not buying anything. It's to help weed out like
1: Yeah, vampires, leeches, zombies. Mm -hmm. Right. I I don't want to be with those people. Yeah. Take something with you. Take and give. Mm -hmm. Never come to someone's home or place empty handed. Offer something. That's just basic enlightenment step two or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Don't be a thief. Um, as the Vedas say, do not steal, not the goodwill, not the good graces, not kindness. If you can't return it, don't take it, right? And I agree with that. And going back to the concept of home, when we look at the world and we see unhappiness, and again, I think about the people that go to these national parks and they're they're, they're running up on wild animals and wanting to snap, do a selfie with, you know, a, a buffalo or something, a rhinoceros, alligator. So saw a guy trying to do a selfie with an alligator. I just wonder, what is this home life like, that you would rather take a selfie with an alligator or be gored by a buffalo? I, I just, it keeps going through my mind. I don't want to do any of that. I want to, you know, push my kids around on bikes and i love for everybody to be happy and smiling. i, I love to greet people at even with gratitude. And if we do that, there's something that blows up in us. And when we do travel and we do go places, we take the energy of home with us. We take it with us and people feel it. I've always felt at home when I've traveled to the places I've traveled. I've always made friends who have invited me home some years ago, when I was in India, I went to Calcutta. Now, Calcutta is one of the filthiest, dirtiest cities in the world. There's no building regulations. There's nothing. But I I wanted to go and I'd do two things. I wanted to go to a place called the Kaligat. Uh, it's the last places that they did human sacrifices to altars or something. I was interested in, in, in a great Swami who had visited that place and wrote a book. There was a couple of other areas of journey on the way there that I wanted to take a hermitage to. Then I wanted to go to the home of Yogananda, who started the Self-Realization Autobiography of the Yogi, just as my hajj, so to say. As the Muslims would say, I wanted to take that hajj. So his address is 4 Garpar Road, right? Char-Garpar Road, 4 Garpar Road. So, I knew the address, and I, I, I met a, a taxi driver uh, named Pali Singh. Pali Singh knew everything about Calcutta. If you wanted to buy a baby or a kidney, he could take you there. If you wanted to meet a levitating saint, he could take you there. He took me to Mother Teresa's uh, place. He, he did all that. He knew everybody. He knew Mother Teresa, but he knew all the pimps, drug dealers bootleggers in Calcutta, he was one of those kind of guys. Who do you need to see? I know everybody. So I told Polly I was staying at a place called the Peerless Hotel, which was one of the nicest hotels in Calcutta, and they were having the Miss India contest, so I wanted to be there while I was going on my spiritual quest. So I, was, I went around to the Kali Ghat, that was beyond strange, bizarre, interesting, fascinating, and enlightening. I leave there, I go back to my place, hang out with a few friends. Then I ask Polly, I wanna to go to 4 Garpar Road. He says, 4 Garpar Road? I don't understand Garpar. Garpar, my home. 4, my home street, home street. Literally means 4, home street. So we were driving around. He was asking people about Garapada Road. And nobody understood because we were saying home, for home, for home street. They couldn't. All these people, I said, damn, I'm in Calcutta. Nobody knows how to get to Yogananda. And he says, who's home? I said, this is the home of Yogananda. He said, oh, Swamiji's. Why didn't you just say Swamiji? I said, okay, by the death and dumb school, right? That's how they talk." So he takes me to Yogananda's home, and we knock on the gate, and this beautiful young woman comes to the door and says, could you wait here a minute? I said, "Well, are you here for anything? I said, no, I'm just somebody who studied Yogananda, and I would love to offer whatever I could. Can I donate? Can I just anything? Just if I just love his book, and I, it moved me. It affected my life. And then his nephew came out, uh, Krishna Singh Ghosh. He says, come in, sir. And you walk in the house and you have a seat. I'm getting some things ready. And I sat in a chair and I'd read the book. And I realized when I look at the chair, that's the chair Yogananda broke when he was a little boy. He writes about in his book. And he tried to hide the repair from his dad. And when I sat in that chair, I could feel his dad sitting in that chair, looking at the chair and seeing a little crack that his son had broke his favorite chair, and they made f- great efforts to fix it. Because you can barely see the crack and whatever resins and glues they used. It was really beautiful. And the whole book came alive in the house. As I'm sitting in the house, I was, of course, awkward, nervous. I'm an outsider. And they brought me tea and some snacks and just started talking. So let, let us show you around the house. And I was very careful. Nobody was hearing that. you sign a guest book. I said, I don't really want to impose upon these people. I don't want to be a weird tourist. And we just started walking around. And he started talking to me. And I was talking to him. He asked me questions. And I'd answer. And and he showed me the lion cloth that the tiger swami or the tiger pelt that the tiger swami had given Yogananda. And I sat on the, the thing just like Yogananda did many years ago. And this energy in the house started to hit me. The smell of Nag Champra and sandalwood was soothing. One of those mantra machines like I have, was quietly playing in the back. People were speaking in a quiet, warm tone. And then someone brought me some food, and I'm like, uh, this is weird, I'm in Yogananda's house. This is." Then somebody else brought me water, then his nephew came back and we sat for a while and he started showing me photos. So which one which we have photos and we maintain our trust here through the selling of photos. But we don't have a price on them. Whatever you'd like to offer, whatever photos you want to take, you have money or don't, but if you enjoy my uncle, then take what you want. And if 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 you like, leave a donation. Of course I just throw all the rupees I have out there. And I felt a strange thing in that house. And as I sat in Yogananda's room and I reflected on all the things I had read about him and his books, the different books, I looked out the window and that home was filled with love. And then the nephew came to me and said to me, where are you staying? And I said, "Uh, sir, I'm at the Peerless Hotel in downtown Calcutta he said, it's such a cold place. Why don't you stay here for the night? And I just cried like a baby. And he said, just stay, go and lay on Swamiji's childhood room. Just lay on the bed till you're ready. But you're welcome to stay here tonight. I said, I can't, I can't, I, I can't, I, I couldn't stay there that night. It was too much. It was too much love. And I realized when I left there, that's how you can produce a saint. Because Yogananda wasn't the only... Sri Bindu was part of that family. A bunch of great yogis. And it was the love in the house. It was the love in that home. You could feel it. You could smell it. You could hear it. I was cuddled up on Yogananda's childhood bed. And I felt as if I was in my grandmother's home. And man, when that, he invited me to stay the night, I have it on video. They're trying to console me. Polly is like, are you okay? This is a great honor, sir. I said, thank you, Polly. It's too great for me. I am undeserving of this honor. But just the invite, so, and I returned to the hotel, and I had scheduled a few things, and I canceled everything. And I couldn't wake up for two days. I just slept. I woke up, went back to bed. But it wasn't a tired sleep. It was that sleep you would have cuddled up by your grandmother and grandfather. It was that kind of sleep. That was a home. That was a home. And in one moment, it gave me a template, a reference of what I wanted to feel, what I could feel, what home felt like. And for all of us who are opting out and we see the craziness in this world, I would say with our planning and this, start first with your heart. Start first with your heart. I try to always look at the people I know as if they're going to die tomorrow. And I do my best to be that way. I know it's hard, it's complicated in this world to do that. And one of the most sad lessons that I've learned is that most people think we have forever. They don't treat each other well. They're allowed petty dalliances of the ego to determine our relationships with each other. To hold the person you love. And that's what I would say, Ben. Don't plan the vacations years in advance. Just hold each other hold each other, grow with each other, nurture each other. Yeah, it's great to travel. I believe in traveling. I get on Tay's case all the time about make sure you have your passport. Make sure you have all those things ready to go. Be ready to go. Be ready to go. Be ready to fly. Be ready to soar. Be ready, be ready, be ready. Just to be have the freedom of movement in this world. But also know home is in you wherever you go. I have a hotel that I use in India. Um... Whenever I go, and um, whenever I go there, they just have my room. There's a particular room I like on the fourth floor, so I can hear the mantras coming from the wedding grounds. And I go to that hotel, the, the Hotel Maori Heritage. I know the owner and all the people that work there. And when they said, I would call and says, I'm coming to India. They said, okay, Z, we'll get your room ready. We have a big reservations for a wedding, but we're going to move some people around so you can have your room. A few times I've gotten there and I've had to wait and they just let me sit behind the desk and hang out in the lobby. And I feel at home, not because of the place, it's because the people, they love me and they're my friends and I feel settled, I hope all of us can understand that, that we can create that. Whenever I close my eyes and meditate on home, it's always the feeling that for some reason it's that Nag Champra, the sandalwood, the tea cooking, maybe it's mint, maybe it's chai, It's the quiet voices in the distance or the voices in the distance of happy people. That's what's in my heart. It may not be in this world, but it's in my heart. You follow me, Vin?
0: Yeah, Z, what you're saying, that point about what it takes to make a saint, I think is so powerful. The environment is incredible, the effect that it has on us. I think about going, when we go to California, we spend time with my parents. Just being there, I'm always more relaxed. There's still this feeling of being safe, of things being okay. Again, the mind starts to settle. and There's not really a sense of what do I need to do. I guess for me growing up in that home, it's good associations. It's, it's a feeling of being protected and ensconced and loved. My wife has the same experience when she goes to the home she grew up in. Uh, She sees her parents. She comes back. She's always refreshed. She always talks about how she sleeps so much better. She can get to sleep right away. She's not waking up in the middle of the night. She doesn't have thoughts about about money or about getting sued or about whatever it is. So just that environment can make a huge difference. And it's interesting. I, I never thought about what you said about how an environment with so much love can make a saint. Um, you know, you think about these people like Yogananda and Sri Aurobindo, and you think of them as giants, as spiritual giants, and I'm sure they were, but maybe we forget about the conditions that produce that. And maybe there's a lesson in that, which is equally important. How do we cultivate those conditions, which is really what we're talking about? How do we create that, that home, that feeling of security, stability, love, support, where we can rest, we can be ourselves, we can have that peace of mind? We can exist and do what we need to do without expending a tremendous amount of energy, which is also important because time and energy are such valuable quantities. Last night, Z just going out. We were at a dinner, I had a nice dinner. I was out with my wife, and you know, we checked out this new restaurant. So dinner was good. I would have been perfectly happy not going. I mean, we got there and we were in the restaurant, and the volume of conversation was so loud at one point some table behind us started talking loudly and people were laughing and it was like a gunshot had gone off. I mean, I almost had a heart attack. (laughs) And then I'm looking outside and you got hordes of people walking by and it's like, Jesus Christ. It's impossible for the mind to rest. It's impossible to feel secure in that environment because just the way we're wired, even if there isn't an actual threat, we're always scanning for threats and you have that noise, you have that stimulation. It's something else to pay attention to. It's something that distracts us from what's happening in the present moment. And then we take it a step further and look at the times that we're in, as we've talked about on previous podcasts. There actually are dangers that we have to worry about. There are people out there who are killing other people. Uh, There are people who are molesting children. Uh, There are attacks on subways and other public places. There are diseases that we might catch, the pandemics. So to me, it's kind of like, I have no issue going away from home, Uh, but I I think what you're saying, Z, I'll summarize what you're saying, or at least what I've heard from you. You can tell me if I'm on track. If we go, certainly we can have adventures, we can travel, we can open ourselves to other cultures, other experiences, but it should be purposeful. There should be something behind it. It should be part of a journey, something that is going to enrich us, that's going to help us cultivate knowledge, that's help us uh, work on the projects that we're working on, achieve what we want to achieve. Maybe we want to teach other people and travel becomes part of it. It becomes part of our adventure, but more of the mindless movement, the movement for the sake of moving, for the sake of escaping where we are, instead of escaping where we are, why not embrace where we are? And if it doesn't have the right feel to it, if it's not a nurturing environment, let's create that environment. That's really what this discussion comes down to me. Uh, It comes down to for me that we need that foundation. We need that environment. And if something at home isn't working and something at home is is a a travesty that we want to escape from, let's figure out a way to fix it. The solution isn't to go through the thousand other things that we want to do and keep on hopping from activity to activity and hope to get that perfect tie. It's to come back and fix the underlying conditions.
1: That's right, Van. And I, I think I want to
0: kind of share a thing or repeat
1: something that we probably heard before. As I sit here, my heart is really mellow, feels good. I'm I'm glad that we're together on this. I'm I'm, I'm glad for all the folks that have been supporting our podcast and what we're trying to do. And I want my story to be your story and maybe understand why we do this project. And I wanna do whatever little bit I can to mitigate human suffering. I think if we think better, if we use our minds better, we can be okay not everybody, but but those of us who are thinking better about situ- the world won't change the way we think about the world. The way we navigate the world will change. So I just share a little story that you've heard before about my grandmother. <clears throat> Our grandmothers have this grandmotherly wisdom that I hope everybody has. If you, if you have a grandmother like that in her later years, you know my grandfather he died and around 19 uh, 79 or 80 and um, I, I was in the military and in the late 70s he died or something and I got the message that he had died and went to my grandmother's house we put him away fast forward you know 20 something years later we're in the 2000s and she's at the house and there's always people stopping by but she's a caregiver she's always there I said Mother, do you, do you ever get lonely? And she said, Baby, I try to get lonely sometimes, but every time I walk around the house, my husband left me some love. I opened the drawer the other day, and it had been broken, and I saw where he fixed it. Then I was cleaning a shelf, and I found a note with some money he had put away. She said, there was so much love he left in this house, I haven't finished finding all the love he left in the house, so I'm not lonely. And then every now and then I'll go on Google Earth and I'll look at that house. Because I've had wonders, if, I've, if ever I was financially able, would I buy that house? I don't know, as some kind of museum? I, I don't know. Maybe not, but I I've thought about it. Because that, that whole block is lined with sycamore trees that provide a tremendous amount of shade on that street. And I've shared this story and I'll share it one more time for those who maybe haven't heard it. I would spend the summers with my grandparents and it was the only place in my childhood that I felt quiet. Not that I'd enjoy things, but I, 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 it was it was different if anybody understands what I mean when you go to your grandparents' house. I could do things and talk to them in a way I couldn't talk to anybody else in the world. And one day I came home from my summer job. I was a, not much older than your kids, probably 12 or 13. My grandfather said, keep your work clothes on. Don't take your work clothes off. I have another job for you. And I love to work. I don't care what it was, manual labor, packing thing. I just had a job and I made my own money. And for a young teenager, huh, Caitlin, you laughing about that. For a young teenager, man, if in that era, I know mean, now we, we're during the rise of the machine and the age of the amphibians. I know they don't have that, but I love to work. God, I loved having my own money and then pulling my wallet all, out and buying things for people and having a little bank account. And they had torturous work that you could do then. He says, leave your work clothes on. So he got settled in, he came in, he got the truck. We went to an open field. He was a civil engineer building one of the major highways in California. And we went out to one of his work sites, and they had, for as far as the eye could see, they had cleared the, the uh, fields to build this massive highway, Highway 5, at the junction of 99. Huge area, but back then it was just rural farmland. So he takes me out there and there's one tree, one little sapling. And at the time I might have been five feet tall maybe, and the tree was as tall as me. And he said, that tree is for mother. Because one day we were sitting out there, my grandmother just casually said, oh, I wish there was shade. Didn't look left or right, just something you didn't notice. And my grandfather didn't respond. He looked at the newspaper, and just grunted, "Mm mm-hmm, like guys do, right? And she said, Oh, I wish there was shade. She had an umbrella up and everything. So he went and got her a tree. And I buried that tree and packed it in and it was covered with leaves. And as the week went on, the leaves were falling off the tree, it was tilting and leaning. And every day I would come and water it, prop it up with a stick, do this, do that. Towards the end of the week, all the leaves had fell off and my grandfather said, It's okay, we'll find another one. You're going to have to pull that one up on the weekend. It's not taking. And he he said, sometimes when things or people are moved from far away from where they're used to, he's telling me one of those grandfather lessons, it's hard to take root. It's hard to get used. But with enough attention and enough time, even if you're from far away, you can take root in a place you have never been and you can make that place your home. That's what my granddad told me about the tree. He was talking about us, really. So that Saturday morning, I got my little butt up out of bed early with all this determination and ferocity of a 12 year old that thought he was a man. And I went to dig up my tree and give it the right barrel and chop it up and try again and I ran out. I started to dig up the tree and I looked up and there was one brand new leaf on the top of that tree. Man, I ran into the house almost knocked my grandmother and grandfather over. I was so excited. It's a leaf on the tree, it's a leaf on the tree, it's a leaf on the tree, it live, it's live, it's alive, it's alive. It took root, it took root. And my grandmother said, you did it, son, you did it. Grandmother I said, oh yeah, maybe in a few years, baby, we'll have shade, huh? Maybe we'll build a swing or something on it. I'm like, yeah, we did it, we did it. And um, over the years, that tree grew and grew and grew and it's bigger than the house. It provides shade all summer. And not only that tree grew, but the whole neighborhood got seedlings from that tree and they naturally grew. So that whole corridor is filled with those trees from the other side of the valley. And it's a shady street on hot days. And it goes through all the seasons just like fall, winter, spring. And and all the kids that are younger than me that grew up have no idea of that house without a tree. That house was filled with love. That empty place was filled with love. And there was a tree that now provides shade for hundreds of people. Because a man loved his wife. And in just a whim of her voice, he heard her. He heard her. I'd like to have shade. So now, they're off in eternity. And if there's a way for them to look, their love is shaded right there.
0: That's home. Yeah, I think that's it, Z. Cultivate that love, create that environment, and then just bask in it and make that the foundation. But to do that, maybe there's a certain commitment that we need to make. We can travel. We can go away from home. We can spend time away from home. But home is that sanctuary. It's that place that we're going to come back to. It's going to be the foundation of this life that we have, this life that we build
1: to be at home, man, yeah, we have to be still. We yeah. have to dwell. There's a, The Christians say, may I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we have to be able to dwell in that. And then, yeah, go on your vacations, but look forward to being at home, wherever that is.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.